Welcome to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. I'm your host, Jen Alex, and the goal of this show is to uncover communication strategies and behaviors that you can use to improve the way that you show up and perform at work. We'll talk about what effective communication looks like in action so that you can apply it to your own career. If you'd like a written summary of each episode, subscribe to our weekly email newsletter by visiting vautiercommunications.com. Welcome back, everyone. Today, John and Matt are going to join me, and we are going to discuss this concept of the competency model and how it impacts skill development and learning. So, John and Matt, thanks for joining me again. Matt, I want to start with you. Let's start by talking about why people might avoid or push back on learning any type of a new skill. Yeah. Hey, Jen, glad to be back. And I think that's a great question. I honestly just picked up pickleball a a couple weeks ago. So I can say that learning a new skill is definitely not the easiest. The first thing that really comes to mind for me is the timing. Overall, when you learn a new skill, whether it's something easy like a new hobby, new sport, or something to pass time, or whether it's something where you're changing your innate overall behavior, whatever you've done previously or whatever the time that you have during your day is necessarily is not always enough to focus on whatever that new item is going to be. So whether it's that you don't necessarily like how long it's taking to learn that new skill, or in general, you're already so busy that you can't budget the time over to practicing and trying to improve whatever that new skill may be. So overall, it tends to kind of get pushed to that back burner. As well, when you when you learn that new wealth of skills, nobody likes to be, I want to say, below average at something. And of course, we always feel like beginners when we start something new. So that's that other second thing. I know when I go out and I play golf with some of my friends who are just starting, they're always a little bit embarrassed of how they play compared to how some of us play who have been out there for a much longer time. And that in itself can also be a big roadblock depending on who that group is that you're starting a new skill with or how your mindset is around the others that are doing that activity or whatever that new item is with you. Yeah. And those are great points. Most people hate to feel uncomfortable or like you said, be a beginner at something because it's awkward. There's this in-between phase where you don't have it down yet. It doesn't feel smooth. You can't really get the rhythm of it. And then especially and I think, when you have an audience or a group of people in front of you, when we do something individually, we don't mind feeling like a beginner. But when we have friends, family, think about an audience at work that you're trying to impress, that can really put the pressure on. And John, I'm sorry, I think I just cut you off there. No worries. I was going to piggyback off of that. I think for a lot of us, it's ego driven, right? Yeah. It, the whole idea of not being, it's a humbling process to be a beginner at anything. And because of that, we feel out of our comfort zone, which is a good thing. That's where growth happens. And I like to to tie in growth versus fixed mindset when it relates to the competency space. Because yep. for a lot of us, if we go in with an open mind and we go in with more of that growth mindset, the idea of learning something new and becoming proficient at it is should be exciting. Right. But for a lot of us, we feel like, oh, I'll never be good at that, or I'll never be as good as somebody else at that. And to Matt's point, it's we live in a very competitive world yeah. with social media, with everything else that people put out there for the, for the masses. For a lot of us, we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not even close to that level. So I am, I'm not even going to start that process for fear of failure instead of there's probably something I could learn from, from practicing this new skill, or at least understanding what I don't know about said new skill. And then diving in and seeing, is this worth my, my time and my interest and my energy and my attention? Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. And coming off of that, John, can you define or explain what the four levels of this competency model are for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with it? Of course, this is one of my all-time favorite topics. As it relates to skills, I love the progression of the four stages, if you will. And it's a play on words, Jen. We, we talk about this in our executive communication skills course, but stage one or level one would be considered unconscious incompetence. Stage two or level two becomes conscious incompetence. Stage three, level three is conscious competence until you could get to that fourth and final state of unconscious competence. It's unique because we, we bucket these and that first stage is what's considered stalling. Most people are unaware that there's even a need for skill development. And you hear people use that phrase, I don't know what I don't know. And there's quite a bit that we may not know about certain certain things, right? Like Matt said, hobbies, practices, activities, pick, pick something. It's got to be a physical or a, a vocal skill, if you will. We're not necessarily talking through changing personalities in the space. Mm-hmm. Then that second level would be what's called starting. All of a sudden, I am now conscious, and that's that's the conscious incompetence that it's described as, I'm aware that there is need for this skill and there's need for my inability to, or there's there's clarity around my inability to perform it well. Yep. I realized very quickly, wow, I'm not making this look as easy as so-and-so. If you're, we'll talk about golf, like Matt brought up, you watch a golf pro, if you're taking a lesson with a golf pro and he or she does a swing and you say to yourself, okay, that looks very fluid. That looks seamless. That looks effortless. And then you try it and you quickly realize I'm not even close. I'm not even playing the same sport here. Mm -hmm. As we start to do what's called shift, we move into level three or stage three. That's going to be conscious competence. And this is now where we begin understanding we are conscious of performing a skill. It still requires attention, still requires effort. I still need to focus on it. It's not seamless yet. It's not on autopilot. But for many people, moving from level two to level three is a great place to be. Because what we're doing is we're starting to shift. And that's why I use the phrase starting for stage two and then shifting for stage three. For some of us, we may not ever get to level four and that's okay. Unconscious competence is a very advanced, I would call the elite level of doing something. And that's where we tend to soar. You hear people say, oh, it's on autopilot. I don't think about it. It's a light switch that flips on the beginning of the day. And I just do it without really any focused thought or attention. And I would argue the best at their craft at whatever they do, the best runners in the world, the best golfers in the world, the best athletes in their sport can make something look effortless, but that didn't happen overnight, right? Right. That is a compounding effect of countless, countless repetitions. And it truly is all about reps. Any of these things that we talk about as it relates to the competency, if you don't go out and find opportunities to get repetitions, the movement from stage one to two, two to three, and three to four, I don't like to use that word impossible, but it is incredibly challenging to shift into those next stages without getting repetitions. Yeah. It has to be focused. It has to be something mm-hmm. we'll talk a little bit later about habit building or habit forming, but that's essentially what it is. It's creating this habit and putting the work into some amount of time, focusing on that every day, every week, whatever your, your repetition style might be. Yeah. And it's, it's understanding that it's okay to be less effective at something early on. Yeah. And I really think if you go in with, with that knowledge, with realizing, okay, I may not be as effective as I'd ultimately like to get, that's okay. That's part of the process. What we can't do is we can't skip steps. So as much as people may want to jump from, oh, level one, stage one, unconscious incompetence, 
I just want to get rid of that conscious incompetence. I don't like that. That's awkward. That's uncomfortable. I'm going to skip over that. It, the, the, I smile here. The tough part about this is you can't skip steps. Yeah. So every stage has its, its reason for being there, if you will. And you just need to work through each of the stages. And that's when we start to really understand, okay, I'm in stage one. You think to yourself, how hard can this really be? You get to stage two and you start to think, okay, wow, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, or I have very little knowledge of what I'm doing in this space. Now I need to start to learn and understand. And then stage three becomes, okay, now I know consciously what I should be doing. And I know what to do to make this seem effective, come across effortless. I'm not there yet. And that's okay. And then for some of us, if we practice said skill long enough and we get the repetitions, we focus the attention and the effort, we can get to a point where we we just say, I don't really think about it. It is on autopilot. It's just something that I do now because it is such a habit that has been created. Yeah. And, and I think you just touched on that, this idea of practice makes permanent. So these mm-hmm. people that are practicing these things and making them a priority, they take the time. They know that putting in the reps is important. And so that is part of their to-do list every day or every week, again, whatever their schedule for practicing this might be. And they also understand that, Learning is this ongoing process. It's not something that you do it once and you say, okay, I've got it. It's mm-hmm. a lot of you do it once and then you do it twice and then three times, six times, 25 times. And you keep going with that process. Yeah. Jen, one of my all time. Oh, I'm sorry, Matt, go ahead. I was going to say, and Jen, I think it's one of those things that's innately uncomfortable when you learn a new skill. So yeah. when you go through this, it, as John was saying, you don't necessarily skip steps, but also it's a bit more fluid and subconscious than you think it is going through this framework. You'll see as you, as a lot of viewers at home, listen in and think about this, any skill that they've picked up, whether it's tweaking a little something behaviorally, or it's picking up a new sport, as we've talked about a little bit here, you've mentally probably gone through these four steps already without giving yourself a clear definition of exactly what they are. So when you go through and you think about that, skipping over steps, this process works itself out very easily and very simply. So it's more a battle with yourself and your own mental nature to getting from step one to step two, because as John said, that can be extremely, extremely frustrating. And that's a great point to make, Matt, that just because we've now defined this process, some people might put more pressure on it, not realizing that anytime you pick up a new hobby or try something new, you're already going through this, whether you realized it or not. And I think that ties back in to what John mentioned earlier about ego. We have to be able to put that ego aside of not being proficient at something, but that doesn't mean we should stop there. It just means we have to practice it more. So Matt, on that note, what strategies can we use to identify where a skill gap exists? How do we know what to start to practice or go after? Yeah, Jen, I think that's a great question because with the first step in this process being unconscious incompetence, I think it's oftentimes we don't necessarily know where those skill gaps are because we don't know where that need for a new skill appears. So I think the first place that you can always go is to those people that you are working with on a daily basis, interacting with on a daily basis, or performing this skill with and get feedback from them. Whether Mm -hmm. this is a boss, it's somebody in your office, somebody you sit next to in a cubicle or talk to often whenever you're troubleshooting, whatever this new skill is, those people are going to help to give you that new outside fresh perspective that you're not necessarily looking at as you've been attacking it in the past. 
This is going to help you to analyze some of those new skills that overall you can take on and pursue to, as you said, get through some of those skill gaps, identify them, and build those new skills using some of this framework. I think self-evaluation is big if you're able to go in and whether it's a speaking exercise, record yourself and look at the way you speak, or if this is a sporting event, whether you're able to go in there, watch game film, break it down, or in some way, go back and review your performance and how you're doing things from an outside perspective. Outside of just when you're doing that task, that's also going to be a big help for you. Yep. And then I think the other thing on that piece is if you're getting stuck on something continuously, you're, you're working through it, it's not working, it's frustrating, you're having a hard time, that's probably a great opportunity to say, there might be a gap in my skill set here. Who can I go to, whether it's a coach, it's a subject matter expert in this area, but who can I go to and ask, what am I missing? Or how do I do this more fluidly? Or is there a step that I'm leaving out? But there's probably something there if it's continuously frustrating you over and over again, and it's something you do do on somewhat of a routine basis, that probably indicates there might be some level of a skill gap or a skill missing there, which is another great indication that I can look for help. I can look for feedback, do a self-evaluation exercise, something along that line. Exactly. And those people, coaches, any type of consultant, whether this is a business skill, et cetera, those people are great for identifying those skill sets as well as providing you any of those materials or small techniques that you need to build those skills from another dimension. Of course, if we're looking at something, we're trying to identify skill sets or skill gaps and improve upon something, we're obviously not going to be that subject matter expert. So we're not going to have necessarily that wealth of knowledge past the first two or three steps. I know that in this day and age, it's become a great resource to use YouTube videos and things of that nature to find some of these skill sets, but a dynamic coach similar to what we do is a great way to also tweak those specific skill sets that you as an individual may not catch on to yourself. Yeah. Great points. Yeah, it's it's identifying who's doing what you're looking to accomplish very well. Right. And whatever that skill is, it's golf, it's speaking well, if, and we, we relate it back to what we do. If you realize or recognize that someone in the organization, somebody on your team presents fluidly, they take the front of the room and they own that space well from an executive presence standpoint, from a message delivery standpoint, seek out those individuals and ask for feedback. Ask, what do I not know that you're doing well? And Mm -hmm. and oftentimes, they'll be more than happy to share anything to you or anything with you. But a lot of times, if you realize that you're looking to be better at something, you've got to look at the room you're in and recognize, I may not be in the right room right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not in the place where I need to be in order to start to understand how can I become more proficient, more effective in this space. And then it's a matter of just finding your, your tribe, so to speak, and figuring out, okay, who can help me get to the next level? What areas can I get exposure to or what type of mentorship, leadership development programs, pick an area of growth. But you say to yourself, that's where I need to be. That is a group of individuals that is doing what I want to accomplish. They're doing it seamlessly. They're doing it well. They're doing it with with little to no effort or what seems like little to no effort. I'd like to get to that point, but it doesn't happen by accident. And I really think that's the whole identification piece is recognizing, okay, that's where I want to be. What are the steps in place? And just as Matt noted, oftentimes they are small steps. Right. We're talking 
little iterations that will end up having a profound impact on how you perform something. But in most cases, it's not going back and reinventing the wheel. Obviously, in some cases, sure, we might have to do a full-on overhaul. But for, for quite a bit of skills out there today that exist that would run through this competency model, it's making small adjustments. It's doing a couple tweaks and tailors here and there. And those things that are, again, compounded over time will end up having a profound impact on your ability to get into that space and say all of a sudden, okay, I'm no longer looking from the outside into that room. I'm a part of that group that's in that room that's doing this thing well. And that's a, a culture piece. I think that's making sure you understand that if you're the best at what you do in a room, you're in the wrong room. We've all heard that phrase before. If you're the smartest in the room, you're in the wrong room. You got you to gotta move up. You got to level up, if you will. Yep. And Matt, we talked about earlier how people avoid learning new things because of that frustration period. Can you give a couple of suggestions about how people can deal with that frustration and work through that period of that in-between time? Yeah, Jen, I think the first piece for me uh, and for most people that start new skills is trying to avoid that burnout. We know when we start something new and you get through that frustration and you have to get up the next day and pick up that skill again and do it all again, that's the hardest part. So trying to find a way or a cadence to budget that time and make it more manageable just to overall make it so that you're not taking three hours of being frustrated and then another three hours, another three hours, split yeah. that up. Take 20 minutes where you can build it up as to where you're not getting as frustrated or it's not taking as mental a toll on you and then pick it back up again when you feel ready. Yeah. Again, if you have that nice even keel mindset and you're doing this in small chunks of time, it's going to be a lot easier to learn these skills than when you get a little bit more flustered and you're making some of those mistakes that are a bit more habitual in nature Yeah. as well. Start small and practice often. When things are less stressful, as we're saying, it's much easier to get those skills down packed. We see it a lot in our classes where people are a lot more comfortable with the skills based off of how comfortable they are with the material that they have. So that's very similar to this. If you're practicing with something that makes you comfortable to create these skills, when you get into a situation that's a bit more uncomfortable, not necessarily as natural or lab grade essentially as what you've been practicing mm -hmm. you're a bit more likely to have those skills down packed because you practice them in a comfortable environment yep lastly i think it's huge to set those little i'd say accomplishments or mile markers for yourself everybody needs those little payoffs and those little rewards so whether it's a physical little payoff for yourself or just a little pat on the back to make yourself feel better, almost like closing your rings on your Apple watch for the day. Yeah. Everybody needs something to get them through that. And a lot of times with these internal battles, setting that mile marker for yourself, giving yourself that reward is going to be a great way to get through and keep pushing to that next step. Right. You have a goal to reach. It's not just be perfect at it, which seems unattainable, especially when you're starting. It's get comfortable with this swing or get comfortable with this first step of that process. And John, you can probably remember back to growing up, our mom always used to say, if, if we would call and we'd feel overwhelmed about all the different things we have going on, whether it were back at college, fraternity, sorority activities, school, homework, part-time jobs that we had, all of that. She always used to say, remember the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. I don't have any idea where that saying comes from. I don't know why anybody would eat an elephant, 
but it really does help put things into perspective. Sometimes we have to focus on just taking the next step. It's not completing the whole goal. It's not making it perfect. But if you take one step at a time, all of a sudden you're on your way. And that's the part of habit building or creating some type of new routine that can help you be successful in doing that. Yeah. And I think it's, as Matt said, 15 to 30 minutes, Yeah. right? Start small, start, start with manageable pieces of, of practice or dedicated effort, dedicated attention. And then I love Sahil Bloom talks about this 30 for 30 rule, Yeah. 30 minutes, 30 days of dedicated effort and try not to miss two days in a row. Yep. And if you can manage that, right, those are those small wins that we talk about from a compounding perspective. But as Matt said, that's the accountability aspect as well. You don't have to be showing up every single day. And if you miss one day, it's not like you have to start over from the beginning. Right. But we realize life happens, things get in the way, other priorities might take a front seat for some some things. And all of a sudden we realize, shoot, I didn't get that thing done on this day, but I know I can turn around tomorrow. And I can dedicate or carve out 15 to 30 minutes to get some practice detention. And yeah. Jen, you can speak to this from all the, the Spanish practice you've done since what, since COVID started? Yeah. The the first week of COVID. Yeah. So, and you're on what, how many days in a row of, of doing this now, obviously you not, not necessarily skipping days, but what are you at your streak? 1,194 days. There you go. And, and they, you're not spending two hours of Spanish practice every day. So it's absolutely. small little pieces. Yep. It's at least yeah. one lesson. I think they call it a day. Some days where I have a little more time, I can fit two or three in. I might do a lesson and read a story, something like that, but it's amazing. And obviously Duolingo knows what it's doing with the gamification side of the app and the learning process, but they start to count your days. And at one point I was 50 days in, you can't miss a day then you've been doing oh. it consistently. And then all of a sudden you're at 250 and then you're at 365. And each week, each day, even there are a couple of days where it's, you know, 9.57 PM and I'm in bed and I'm getting ready to close my eyes. And I think to myself, shoot, I haven't done my Spanish lesson. So I'll do a quick lesson right then. But it's that, it's that routine. It's not missing a day. And like you said, obviously some things, yes, life gets in the way, but if you can always try and not miss two in a row, that helps just solidify that process. Yeah. We've all heard that Denzel Washington quote, without commitment, you'll never start without consistency. You'll never finish. Yep. And I love that as it relates to the competency space, but for most of us committing to something is a relatively easy step. Oh, I'm going to commit to running this race, or I'm going to commit to taking my 5k time down by the time Thanksgiving Turkey trot rolls around. But if you aren't consistent with whatever practice it is, the ability to attain said goal, it becomes more and more challenging. And so there is a level of committing yourself to doing something, then you just have to be consistent with it. And maybe that's in the form of an accountability partner, a yeah. spouse, a friend, a colleague, somebody at work, somebody else who's doing the Spanish exercises with you, but pick some way to keep yourself accountable. And I think, you know, that's why that's how Apple has figured out and some of these other now wearables as we think about Garmin and everything else, oh, yeah. figured out how can I make sure I close my movement rings, whatever those movement rings are. And it's great. It keeps people more healthy. It's a, an accountability piece. It makes sure you understand, hey, I haven't left the house today. I've had back to back to back meetings at lunch. I'm going to go for a walk. Yep. Awesome. Everybody wins in that scenario. Yep. And I think that's a great point, John. So how can some of our listeners reach that unconscious competence level. 
What are, what are some of those other techniques? Obviously you just talked about the repetitions, being aware of it and doing it over and over, but what else? Yeah, I'm going to hesitate. It may not be realistic for everybody to reach the unconscious competence level with everything. And yeah. so I do think it's important to understand that for some of us, the furthest we may get is conscious competence and there's nothing wrong with that. Yep. Conscious competence means you are aware of the skill. You're aware of how to perform it. Does it still take focused effort? It does. But I know for a fact, I'm never going to get to the point where I'm going to run a two hour marathon. Yeah. That's okay with me. I'm fine with that. I'm at peace with that. But I, I would like to get to the point where I can throw on a pair of running shoes and on a given day, go out and knock out five, seven, nine miles and feel okay about doing it. Yeah. Now, I'm just using this example because Lauren and I have a half marathon coming up at the end of July. And I, I would have told you back in March when we started to run. I would have said there is no world where I'm going to be confident that I can go out and run seven or nine or 11 miles at once. Yeah. I could do that over the course of a week, maybe, but I had never done that before. But again, it's those little bits and chunks. And you, we, we found a program that really dedicated how we were going to start to do more running. And it was repetition based. Oddly enough, like I said before, it takes reps. Yeah. You don't become better at running by not running. So you can't really avoid it. You have to get time on your feet. You have to get distance, if you will. And it's not no, so much going from a two-mile run to an eight-mile run, but maybe working yourself from 20 minutes of running to 25 min minutes of running, and then from 25 minutes of running to 30 minutes of running, and not even looking at the distance. It's about time on your feet. It's about you realizing, again, that tiny win of saying, wow, last week I could only do 25 minutes of running, and I just finished 30 minutes of running without stopping small win, compounding, moving on to the next piece. But I do think you've got to have, again, that the commitment and then the consistency, that dedication, even when you know it's going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. There are days when you realize I don't have my best. I'm not as focused as I want to be, or I'm tired. I had a late night. Jack was up all night. Whatever the situation might be, we've all got different things or different variables that impact our ability to feel like we are ready to go on a given day. But it's figuring out, okay, I've created this foundation. I've started to implement this habit and I've got a system in place and I want to make sure I continue with that system. And this ties back to the people you put yourself around, the culture you find yourself in, making sure you find the tribe that you want to be in that is doing the thing that you want to do well and do it with uh, what I'll say, little effort. I know it doesn't, it's not little effort, but what seems effortless. Mm -hmm. Yep. And Matt had mentioned earlier about setting those goals having those mile markers or things that you can attain. And like you just said, maybe it's, I'm going to run for 15 minutes straight this day. And tomorrow I'm going to try and make it 20 or next week. I'm going to try to make it 20. A lot of people want to read 15 books in a year. Well, if you haven't finished one book in a year in the past five years, setting yourself up for 15 is almost setting yourself up for failure. So instead, maybe you set a goal of, I'm going to read five pages of this book every day. Or once a week, I will read at least one full chapter. And then little by little, you can start to add to that. Like you said, you add your five minutes on, or you add three more pages to that five, five page limit or something along that line. And actually Tim Ferriss in his podcast with James Clear talks about this. And they said that a habit must be established before it can be improved. It's got to become the standard before you worry about optimizing it into something perfect. And I think that's really important to have that be step one, create the habit. Otherwise the other steps are harder to put into play and stay consistent with because you haven't created that consistency yet. 
And so it really does come down to that consistency. Like Sahil Blue mentioned, never miss a Monday or don't miss two days in a row. So if you skip one day because life got in the way, it happens. But get after it and make sure you prioritize it the next day. A lot of people, I always compare it or think about people who are dieting. Dieting can be extremely hard because it really is a whole mind shift in the experiences that you are in, the food that you buy, how you prepare your meals, all of those things. But sometimes you go into the office and somebody brought in donuts that morning, somebody eats a donut and then they say, oh, well, now I've, I've ruined my meal plan for the day. So they just throw in the towel and then they go hard on anything and everything that's in front of them. Just because you ate that, okay, next meal, get right back on track. You don't have to throw out the whole day because the one situation didn't go well. Matt, I'm going to come back to you. You talked earlier about feedback and whether that be self-evaluation or from your peers on how to improve or how to get that skill set going. Can you highlight a few ways to go about feedback for any of that skill development? What are some things people can do? Yeah. So I do recall, I touched upon some of that, how to do it yourself. And I think the first thing I said was recording yourself going a bit more in depth. I think any skill that you're learning where you can either watch it back or listen to it back and take some feedback from it that way is going to be one of the main ways to improve that skill set one and two to overall focus on what those skill gaps are. Yeah, It's something that we use in pretty much all of our sessions. And it's something that at the beginning of that session and throughout those videos, our attendees are always saying, this isn't necessarily the most ideal thing. I don't love it. I get a bit nervous with that camera on, et cetera. But once they come in on that second day, after they've had a chance to review those videos, it's always the same thing. It's always, I finally saw what you were talking about. I was mm-hmm. able to finally note that, break it down. It's And it's something that you're not going to necessarily grab if you can't look at it from an outside perspective. Yep. So much like we did it in athletics back in the day, and much like we do it in our classes here, any of those skill sets that are either physical, vocal, et cetera, where that recording is going to help you, I highly, highly recommend doing so as it's a great way for that self-evaluation. The second way in terms of feedback from a peer or otherwise is find somebody within your talent development program or who is ahead, as John said, or a pro at whatever they do and see if you can get some advice from them. Instead of asking those questions of how did I do or how did you think about that, ask for that more in-depth pieces of feedback. We go through and every time we do feedback within our communication sessions, we touch upon every single individual skill and we make sure that we're giving in-depth feedback on those skills. Because we know that if you just simply give that, how did that feel or was that good or was that bad? That's not enough in-depth feedback to get to those skill gaps and give enough constructive criticism as to where they can evaluate that and go back and fix it. Yeah. Moreover, if you're asking those, where would you put my energy? If one was a whisper and 10 was a shout and it was too loud, or what did you think about my non-words? Were they on transitions? Were they content-based, et cetera? Now you're able to pinpoint maybe where some of those things are occurring and what is making them happen in order to alleviate them in the future. Yep. Yep. You need the tangible pieces, not just, I think you did a great job. While that feels good, that doesn't help us necessarily repeat the process in the future. And so, especially when things don't go well, it's not just 
that wasn't your best effort, have a great day. It's that wasn't your best effort. And here are a couple of things that I think may have impacted that. Those are the things you're looking for, those tangible items that you can reflect on or you know what to go after and potentially change or do differently the next time. Exactly. And feedback is innately constructive, yet it innately is going to sound a little bit tough coming off if you are that person taking the feedback. That's just something we need to recall is that the people giving us that feedback, whether it's our peers or whether it's a professional coach, is they're trying to help us, they're trying to improve, and they're trying to pinpoint. They're not necessarily trying to nitpick the nitty gritty small items, but they're in our corner and they're trying to help boost us to that next level. And although it's going to sound tough and it's going to feel weird and it's going to be a little bit embarrassing, they are in our corner after all. Yeah. They're rooting for you to do well. And most often in anything else that's going on, whether you're part of a team, you're trying to improve a lift, you're trying to communicate more effectively. Everybody who is a part of that wants it to go better. So everybody's rooting for you to do a good job. Somebody had mentioned something earlier. I can't remember which one of us it was, but about this concept of learning being an ongoing process. So if you had to sum that up, how does the competency model highlight this idea of lifelong learning? John, we'll go to you first. Yeah, I think learning is a journey. And so there isn't as much as people might want there to be a destination at the end that you arrive at and you say, okay, I'm here. I'm, I, I've gotten to this point. I don't think there is a finite destination you get to. Yeah. I think it's if you look at it as a continuous journey and you realize and recognize there are going to be steps along the way. And even for the three of us who do communications coaching, and we do it seamlessly at this point because of the amount of repetitions we've gotten, there are still things that I like and enjoy learning different and yeah. understanding that I'm not, I haven't gotten to the pinnacle yet. And I think that's important to recognize that there isn't necessarily this spot that you get to and you say, okay, I'm here. I've arrived. I don't, there's no more work to be done. There's always something different. We can learn a new perspective, a different angle of something. And that's the beauty of what we do. I don't think communication is a perfect skill set, And because of that, I don't think chasing perfection is even realistic, yeah. but I, I always go back and I, I have this quote that I read every time I give executive communication skills. And it's from that book born to run. And I love it. And so I'll say it here again, the running coach that is giving this quote to Christopher McDougal, who is the author of the book Born to Run, who is trying to learn how to become a more efficient, effective runner without getting hurt. And the running coach says this. He says, when I teach this new technique and I ask someone how it feels, if they say great, I go damn. That means they didn't change a thing. The change should be awkward. You should go through a period where you're no longer good at doing something wrong and not yet good at doing something right. Yep. Now we tie this back to, it's not so much right and wrong. It's more effective, less effective. And understanding where are those gaps that tend to cause me to be less effective. When we are conscious about those, we evolve. Yeah. We evolve and all of a sudden we begin to recognize and realize here are the small things or here are the things that I need to do to be my most effective self. And I think understanding and recognizing that and becoming aware of that allows us to adapt and move from an acquisition phase of a skill into an application phase of a skill. But if I had to give a quote, it's go and get reps. Yeah. I think that is the most important component to moving across any of these four stages of competency. The skills don't work unless you work. And so you have to get repetitions. Awesome. Matt, how about you? 
Yeah, I agree with John there. I was big thing there is don't stagnate. Like you said, learning is an ongoing process. And to sum that up, it's more of if you continue to self-reflect on yourself and say, what is it that I can be doing better? What is it that I may be lacking or where can I look in depth just for pointers or changes in the industry? That's what that learning process and this competency model is all about. You're going to always start off with small pieces that you didn't even necessarily know existed, but taking that wherewithal and having the try to, to go out there and actually do some research on what some of those capabilities may be, and then going through and creating this conscious competence throughout all of this is going to overall make it so that your learning isn't ever stopping. As John said, there is no ground floor and there's and ceiling. It's you start and you don't ever really end. You keep going until you either change what you're learning about or you die until the day we continue <laughs> to breathe until yeah. the day we go down, we are learning those new skills and we are continuing to use them. So making sure we keep that mind open, keeping our strengths, limitations, and knowing exactly where we're looking for these openings, I guess, in this learning is going to be that most important thing. Yeah. And I actually like that. I like, I hope the end goal is what's next, not the end goal is I'm here. It's what comes next. So each time you hit that, that top out, it's not the end, it's the end of this learning. And now I'm looking for the next opportunity or the next level to add on to that. And I think that's a really important piece when it comes to lifelong learning in general, whether it's business related, it's personal growth related, any of those areas, it doesn't stop. You don't hit the top and that's it. You keep going from there. And that's what some of the best people out there who are those lifelong learners continue to do. Have you, have either of you seen the Netflix episode? It's called the playbook. It's Mm -mm. a series called the playbook. No, Mm -mm. no. Okay. So Jill Ellis says a quote, and I just had to find it for a second because I love this quote. And she says, mountaintops are small and the air is thin for a reason. The top of the mountain is rented space, not one to dwell on. Once we get to the top of something, it should be moving on to see whatever the next challenge might be. But I think that's very unique in summarizing what we talked about here. And it's this idea of, again, continuous improvement. It's not necessarily getting to a destination. It's understanding I'm on the journey and this is the right place to be. That's perfect. So if we summarize basically everything we've just talked about, that first piece that I think John mentioned, people who make something look easy have probably spent a great deal of time working on this thing and perfecting it and doing it over and over and over again. So don't shy away from something just because of the time it's going to take you to learn and start to feel comfortable doing that. Once you identify a skill gap, create some of those manageable processes to go after it and continue to practice it. Small steps are better than those large leaps. Create those little mile markers or goals that Matt talked about on this is what I'm going to try and work on for the next week or the next month. And once I get there, I reevaluate how everything is going. And then I hit my next goal or I set my next goal. And then finally, consciously focus and work on that habit and the work it takes to start to create that. Create a way to evaluate how improvements are coming, whether that be through that self-feedback of your own or feedback from other people. John, Matt, thanks again, as always, for joining me. And for our listeners, thanks for joining us again this month. Thanks for listening to the Speak As Well As You Think podcast brought to you by Vautier Communications. 
Again, I am your host, Jen Alex. Vautier Communications is in the business of business communication skills. We coach and train both individuals and groups on how to elevate their presence and increase their impact through the way they communicate, present, and write. If you want to learn more about our in-person or virtual training options, visit our website at www.vautiercommunications.com. Thanks for listening.